Welcome to Across the Park podcast, a football podcast on both Everton and Liverpool Football Club, produced by six mates, the three Reds, Gary, Phil and Terry, and the three Blues, myself, Millsy, Judgy and Craig. Each Monday, we release our latest show. We will discuss the ongoing matters with both teams, whether it be good or bad, opposing views, opinions, banter and debate. We are proud to be a family-friendly football podcast and you can find more about us on our website, www.acrosstheparkpodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a show on your preferred podcast listening app and make sure you give us a follow on our social media. Twitter is Across the Park PC, Instagram is Across the Park PC and Facebook search Across the Park. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Okay, welcome to Across the Park bonus show. Myself, Millsy, alongside resident Red Phil, and we're delighted to be joined by, like we said last time, one of the greatest singer-songwriters that the city's produced, and also probably the, one of the biggest Reds the city's produced, Mr. Peter Hooten. Peter, thanks for joining us. First of all, in this crazy world, how are you and the family? Are you safe? Are you well? Yeah, yeah, a bit of an introduction, that, wasn't it? Got a lot of to live up to there. <laughs> yeah, everyone's fine, yeah, and... Um... Yeah, everyone's fine. Everyone's getting on with it, really. And, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's that much different for me because I work from home anyway, you know. So, yeah, we do festivals and that's everything. And I do a bit of writing. So, I'm not, it's not a, apart from not being able to go to footy and concerts. And that's, it's, it's not that much. I'm quite enjoying it, actually. Yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm, not, I'm the same way, but it, it is the football and having a bevy after the match and all that, isn't it? That's, that's, that's like what I miss. Yeah, seeing the lads yeah, and, and also, you know, WhatsApp groups. There's so many WhatsApp groups. I'm on <laughs> just bombarded with absolute shite all the time. And it's the same people sending things which you've had three days before. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a WhatsApp group with Millsy there, and I checked in the other day, and there was 1,200 messages behind. That's just thought. <laughs> Can't catch up there. Uh, with all my, uh, my, my uh, run keeper runs, weren't they, Phil? All my 5Ks I was putting in. <laughs> yeah. Have you done any quizzes yet, though? Yeah. Do, do you know what? It's strange, isn't it? Because we played one the other day and it was guest the knee. And, yeah. and weirdly, it's, it sounds strange. We're going to turn viewers off here. I got maximum points. I, I was nailing these knees. That's weird. <laughs> that is weird. That is weird, yeah. Right. So. Talking football, uh, Project Restart is, is one of the big topics at the moment. There's rumours that some teams are for it, some team, yeah. teams are against it. There's rumours that some teams don't want to be relegated, they don't want to play in neutral yeah. venues. Where do you stand on this whole Project Restart at the moment? What are your views on it? Uh, basically, I, 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 I've tended to not comment on it, especially on social media, because, you know, obviously in social media, you know, you, people have points of view and they'll just... You know, they'll think you're trying to do... As far as I'm concerned, you know, I mean, football... I think Klopp was perfect when he came out with early in the lockdown. You know, football's um, not important at the moment. It's the most important things of the, you know, of things that aren't important, but, you know, it's not really to be discussed. But obviously, as it's gone on, you know, we're nearly eight weeks, I think, on, on Monday or Tuesday into it. Uh, I think people are getting... a a bit frustrated that, you know, there's nothing that sports, there's been no real, it's all speculation. You know, whereas the Bundesliga and, and they seem to be a lot more organised in terms of, this is what we're going to do. Typical German stance, really. This is what we're going to do. This is the test we're going to do. This is what, you know, this is what the outcome is going to be. 
And I yeah. think, obviously, if you look at the Premier League, you know, and you, you read into it, and obviously certain journalists, you think, have got more of an insight than others. Mm. You can just tell that it's going to happen eventually. It's just yeah. when. Mm. It's just when, and all this speculation avoids us. It's just all, it's all noise, because there's absolutely no way the Premier League and the clubs will allow it to be voided and have to pay the money back. Because yeah. if they're paying that money back, financially, a lot of them are going to struggle anyway. So I think it, just in terms of economics, it's got to happen, whether it's in June, July, August or September. And I think yeah. the idea of you know avoiding the season, and I can understand why some people might want to do that, but I think if, if you're going to, for the integrity of any competition, I think, it's, I think you've got to restart something, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think the Scottish League got voided, didn't it? And that's what Gerard yeah. came out and said. He was like, what's the rush? Like, we've yeah. got time here. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's a time cap on it because you're all 21 and then the World Cup. So you, you can't keep pushing things back too far. But, you know, we, we've got we've introduced the winter break now. And we yeah. have all them stupid international friendlies, don't we? So if you yeah. knock them two things out, we, I think we've got till kind of the end of yeah. August, September to, to get I it I think done. certainly to the end of summer, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, isn't it ironic that um, Klopp, who's been, you know... F- campaigning for a winter break probably stopped us winning the league before the lockdown it was <laughs> two games away wasn't it it's yeah that is ironic <laughs> nobody had a clue I mean I went to the Bournemouth game on March the 7th um, and I stopped shaking hands then you know and loads of people in our row in uh, block 306 in the cop loads of them would say what are you on about shaking of course you shake hands I mean, we were just giving elbows having a laugh like really but or, or tapping feet, you know, but it became... <laughs> but some people wanted to shake your hand as like yeah. as an act of defiance or whatever, you know, because yeah. the government had come out with this, you know, taking on the chain, I'm going around shaking hands, Boris Johnson was saying. So I think people got their, um, you know, got, they got their opinions and the, me- and the mindset, really, from what was getting said by, by people in the government and that. But I, I read up on it. I'm not saying I was, you know... But I've been following Dr. Ashton, obviously, John Ashton, the public health expert, but also another fellow called um, Richard Horton from The Lancet. So I've been reading what they've been writing, and they were saying, you know, mid-March, the lockdown should have started. If it had started in mid-March, you know, the death rate, you know, we wouldn't have 30,000 dead now. You know, there'd be a lot less, I think. You know I mean? It's, yeah. it's one of those. So I'd stopped. By the time we went to play... Atletico Madrid, which was three or four days later on March the 11th, I'd stopped. I went, I didn't go to the pub. I thought, I'm not going to the pub because we'd been to Madrid a few weeks before and we'd invited all these Atletico Madrid fans to the 12th man. And we said, come and meet us upstairs or I'm not meeting them. That's all. <laughs> you know, Madrid, there's no way I was going to go to the, uh, the Sorry and meet them. Yeah. <clears throat> now, people might think, oh, you know, but at the, at the time, I could sense. Something was wrong, you know, and that, you know, <clears throat> it had to, most people who, who've died since probably caught it in those periods because it's usually two to three weeks between uh, getting it and unfortunately yeah. uh, mortality. Uh, so the peak was on the 8th and 9th of April. So they would have caught it yeah. around about the time of the Atletico Madrid game around the country. Now, obviously, <clears throat> I think London should have been. Lockdown first, you know, 
because that was yeah. where the epicenter was. Um, and then take it, you know, gradually other places maybe, but, you know, the government and their infinite, infinite wisdom decided that, you know, they were going to wait to the 23rd. And I think that's why we've got the worst mortality rate, even though uh, we had two weeks on Spain and Italy and we were looking at it in horror on the telly going, you know, they got to do something now. And But you, you put your trust in the so-called experts and they were saying they were following the science. But now it's coming out there. The scientists were telling them one thing and they were doing a political thing. So the scientists weren't saying, uh, you've got to lock down now. They were giving them the statistics and saying, we think you should lock down. But then the politicians were going away going, we've got to preserve the economy. You know? So I think, <clears throat> I know it's a bit of a, um, a waffling answer to Project Restart, but I think it's important because I think, uh, you know, the very fact that it, it happened as it did. We did a podcast on the 12th of March, the day after Atletico Madrid. And we were thinking, yeah. well, maybe the derby match would be behind closed doors. That's what we were mm-hmm. thinking. And I think then we were playing Crystal Palace at home the next game. So we were thinking, maybe it'd be those games would be behind closed doors, but we didn't know. I think what happened is the Premier League and other, other um, schools started getting you know, uh, low attendances. Teachers started staying off. In fact, what happened was the Premier League said, we're not playing anymore. They preempted any government decision, you know. So I think in, in this respect, uh, Project Restart, I think, will happen. But I think it can only happen really when it's safe to happen. And as, as you said, I'm not in any hurry for that. That can be September if it's safe in September. The, th- the thing I think about that, Peter, <clears> is that like, it depends what people mean by safe. Because if you're talking about a guarantee that you're not going to get COVID, then we're waiting for a vaccine, aren't we? And that, that's going to be, I've heard, 12, 18 months, two years. Yeah. And, and there won't yeah. be football clubs to go back to at that point. So, I mean, obviously I'm not a medical expert. I'm just giving an opinion here, of course. Yeah, yeah. But um, I can't... My, and you've got to be careful what you say because you can come across a little bit ruthless. But I kind of feel like... You've got to go into lockdown initially because you've got to give the NHS a chance to like, build hospitals, get the yeah. equipment that they need, the PPE, the ventilators and all that. But once once the um, the NHS is ready, you've yeah. kind of got to say, well, okay, let's start getting back to it. And, yeah, and, yeah. and there's going to be casualties along the way. And the, when football comes back, there's going to be positive tests here and there. Now, yeah. one positive test can't grind all to a halt then because if that's the approach you're going to take, you can't no, come back yeah. to us as a vaccine. Yeah, and nothing will ever start ever again. Nothing will ever start. And that's my worry, though. I've got a... I mean, in these these WhatsApp groups, I've been bombarded by various conspiracy theories. And (laughs) and I I get fed up with them. I don't, you know, just get fed up with them. But one thing is that, you know, the only... And this is what, obviously, Cummins and the government were going to do, was the herd immunity. Mm. Uh, And then they were pointed out that if you try herd immunity, you know, you could get... 200,000, 250,000 people dying and the NHS would be overwhelmed. So they yeah. did a bit of a U-turn. But I think eventually, you know, unless there is a vaccine in the near future, which no one can see happening, um, I think the herd immunity angle that the government, they will adopt that again. They, you know, they will. Because well, they they'll, put, they'll put the economy before uh, the, the elderly and vulnerable. That's what they will. Well... The other thing is, though, how much herd immunity might there already be? 
we haven't yeah. got any antibody tests. There's a lot of people that's coming out now that might not never get symptoms. Like Kenny Daglish never got any symptoms. No. And I've heard that the percentage of people that that could be happening to is like above fifty percent. So we might have, we might yeah. have a stronger immunity to it now than we know. Yeah. Than, than we know. Yeah. And also, like if you look at viruses, a lot of them, if they start killing the host, they 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 want to survive. So they, they tend to like uh, become less less deadly as time yeah, goes yeah. on. Well, they kind of wean away. Yeah, so, well, that that could happen as well. We, yeah, no, we just don't know. Really so that's why I'm saying the all the speculation in the press and all the stuff on Twitter and all the you know theories. I've I've stayed away from them because I just think yeah. so hypothetical. Yeah, exactly. Unless until the Premier League make a decision, and I think they, are they meeting on Monday now. I think Monday. I think the government basically on Monday will say it's. Three more weeks, and we make a decision. But they'll they'll open a few things like garden centres because do you think everyone's in Middle England with a big garden? And that's what you know. You can see the mindset, can't you? Let them go to the garden centres. Yeah. And, uh, and so there'll be a real, certain reaction. But you've you've seen that anyway, haven't you? You know, by walking around the streets, the first two or three weeks it was pretty dead. You know, now I. I go to the beach most days with the dog, Crosby Beach, and it's getting busier and busier. It's not, it doesn't bother me because people are still at distance, so it doesn't really bother me, you know. And I think people aren't aren't having big street parties or raves or whatever, you know. So it's not a it's not a big issue for me. But you can see people have opened with the feet already, really. And I think that's coming from the government. I think the governments are putting out mixed messages, really. I think, and it's a deliberate thing. Those mixed messages are designed to to get you to think of herd immunity and to get you to think of, oh, we'll have to go back to normal. Because I think they thought we'll put a 10-week, three-month um, furlough and uh, companies and three-month um, looking after the self-employed. But I think after the three months, they, they think we can't go on like this economically. We can't do it. You know, and I think eventually... You know, by July, August, I think things will be coming back to normal. But the old and vulnerables, they'll still be there. You've got to make sure, though. I think the the what the the real uh, the real um, terrible thing about all this is the care homes, because most of them are private. They were just left to fend for themselves. Yeah. Uh, now, if care homes, if they've been government policy. And said, look, care homes, if you've got care workers in there, they've got to stay in the premises. And they did that in Liverpool and one, didn't they? In one yeah. care home in Liverpool, and they haven't had any cases. But if you're coming in and out and you could be asymptomatic, and that's what that's how they're getting the disease, isn't it? Yeah. But what yeah. one thing you said there, Peter, was about the, the behind closed doors football. So hypothetically, if next season, which you very likely will be behind closed doors, yeah, you're looking at uh, no home advantage for teams. So, so all games that you play, there's no home advantage. There's possibly no partisan crowd to influence a referee or an yeah. official. All of a sudden, the league opens wide up, doesn't it? It's gonna, be, it's gonna be strange. It's gonna be strange. I think we've got, you know, <clears throat> we'll have to learn again about how to, you know, uh, you know. And I think the players will. And I think it'll. The one thing it will do uh, to the authorities is make them realise how important the fans are. Mm. And that's the big point for me, that, you know, it's uh, football without fans is nothing. And that's what uh, the spirit of Shankly's mantra was. 
Yeah. And it's come, it's come to pass. And I think, I don't know if you've seen Bielsa today. Did you see Bielsa, the Leeds manager, made a statement? Um, no, I It's a brilliant statement saying, you know, without the fans, this game is, you know, there's no emotion, there's no nothing, you know. And he's right because, you know, that's what makes the spectacle of the Premier League, doesn't it? And the Championship, yeah. you know. Otherwise, it's just 22 people kicking a ball around, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think... If the one positive thing can come out of all this is that the authorities go, we're going to give fan groups more of a say or more of a... You know, because I hope they'll start involving fan groups yeah. on some of the decisions because, you know, there was all speculation if it was whole, if you were playing your home games still at Anfield or Gulston or Old Safford or whatever, people start to congregate outside the ground. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe they would, but why would they do that? If it's getting televised live in, in the houses and it's not on the pubs are shut, you'd have to be <laughs> yeah. some sort of strange character to go yeah. to Anfield or Goodison or Old Safford to hang around just to listen to the noises of no crowd. Because there's no you won't be able to hear the players. And people say, Oh well, what about the you know, they'd like to be able to in earshot of the crowd? What? Hearing people's Shouting, they won't hear the players, you know. Well, do you know what? The, the worst thing that happened to us there in relation to that was the PSG game in the Champions League behind closed doors. Their mm. fans were outside and their players came out and acknowledged them from the stands. That was the worst thing that could have happened there because yeah. all of a sudden it gave everyone a, a, a rope to say, Well, look, they will, the fans will congregate because they might get a glimpse of a trophy or yeah, the yeah. player or the manager. I think that was, in a, that was an extreme case because it was early doors, wasn't it? Yeah. It was early on in the lockdown. I think, you know, it's about education as well. About educating people, you know. I think, you know, if it ended up on the news that there's like 10,000 Liverpool fans all congregating outside of Liverpool, it'd give, give the city a bad look, wouldn't it? So yeah, on yeah. that basis, I, I think that we'd almost like self-police each other. Mm. People would be like, oh, you come in the ground and be like, no, what are you on about? Yeah. And, you know, and, and like yourself with the, fan group, with the fan groups and stuff like that. I think yeah. you're all over social media. Do not do this. Don't go to the mm. ground. Don't give us that look. Um, I think yeah. we police each other on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's as I say, it's hard to it's hard to speculate what would happen. You know, I mean, say we did, say the two two games get played behind closed doors and neutral venues, and we yeah. get the points that we need to to win the league. I'm sure people would head to town to yeah. St George's Hall or whatever, but then they'll go. There's nowhere open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have a few fans with them. But yeah. I mean, I don't, it's in an open-air situation like that, I can't see it be a, ma a massive problem, you know. I think it's different if, you, you know, if it's, uh, you know, all the pubs are open and it's all crowded and all that. I think it's a bit different if it's, if it's spring-like day and it's open-air, you know. But, well, one thing we do you want to touch on is, is obviously the football season, Liverpool season so far. It hasn't ended yet, but we're in a bit of massive pause at the moment and a bit of uncertainty. So from August to now, let's have a little review of it. Let's start in pre-season. Now, yeah. our podcast in pre-season was, Liverpool side of things was all about, should there be a cover for Robertson? Should there be a striker coming in? The transfer yeah. was very quiet for Liverpool. Can you rewind back and think how you were feeling at the time about the transfer window for Liverpool in general? Yeah, well, I think... I think with uh, with winning the uh, Champions League, I and mean, everyone was just at faith in Klopp. I mean, whatever he thinks, I'm just going to go with it. You know? <laughs> and, like, it. It's 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 gone past the days of uh, saying why aren't you getting a, another centre half if you can't get Van Dijk? You know, and everyone thinking, well, what about Koulibaly? What about you know? 
and all these impressions and opinions on 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 the social media. All I was thinking was, it's Jurgen Klopp. He knows what he's doing, and um, whatever he's doing, he it must be about is the team spirit and what they've done together and what he thinks they can achieve. And once again, if there were any critics out there, I didn't see many of them, but if there were, he was proved right again because they were absolutely magnificent. Even though he didn't play as well in a lot of the time as they had done the previous season, but they were more efficient. They were more of a team. They were more, you know, it was like, it was right back to the eight, the days of the 70s and 80s where they were the red machine. Uh, and I said this after um, um, the Leicester away game, uh, where I thought we were absolutely magnificent. And I tweeted about it. I said, it reminded me of the 5-0 against Notts Forest in 88, uh, which Tom Finney had said, which was the greatest club performance he'd ever witnessed anywhere in the world, you know. Uh, and I said, it reminded me of that. And people go, are oh, you exaggerating now? You do, you know. Anyway, because I got a bit of stick on Twitter, I went back to look at the Notts Forest game, which you can't get. It's on, yeah. you know, it's on social media. It's on the internet, you know. And we were better than we were against Notts Forest because if you look at that game, there was lots of passes going astray. It was a fantastic game, and when it all clicked, it all clicked. It was brilliant. But I'm, I'm convinced now that that game against Leicester was almost a perfect. Club yeah. performance—it was unbelievable—and it's definitely something that they were, uh, you know, they were regarded as the big, you know, they were regarded they as challenge. Yeah. Wait till you get to uh, to play Leicester away. That's going to be the real test. Yeah. And they were like brushed aside as if they didn't exist. It was it was magnificent. Well, that's one of the benefits of keeping a team together and not making too many signings, isn't mm. it? You get that yeah. chemistry and that understanding between each other. Obviously, yeah. we signed um, Adrian, didn't we? So we didn't have to worry about Mignolet or Carriers going in goal in the yeah. summer. That, so like we, we didn't need to really strengthen the first eleven, but that's one area we did. And you know, and look how well Adrian played when he came in. Yeah, he, he did. He did really well, you know. And he, you know, had a few, few bloopers, didn't he? But um, I towards mean, the end, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. But I think you know, uh, the very fact that he come in and, and did a great job. Uh, you know, because he's obviously a good goalkeeper, isn't he? And yeah. no one could have predicted, you know, Alex, it's like someone had shot him from the cop with an air gun, air rifle, isn't it? You know, yeah. is, it just pinged, didn't it? Yeah. His calf or whatever, you know, but uh, great replacement. And um, and then when he came back into the team, Alison just strengthened the team up again, you know, and it's like, you know, it, it, it was never, ever like, Flamboyant champagne football. In many respects, it was. It was. There was an. There was an added ingredient there. It was efficiency. It was like. It was a clock realizing that you know you, you know you can't. You know Liverpool in the past under Klopp had been, you know 2015, 2016. You had to score three or four to be convinced you're going to win the game. You know, now it was you got one ahead and you're thinking you probably won this game. Reminiscence of the great Liverpool teams of the past, you know? Yeah. Well, at the, the start of the season, Liverpool won every domestic game up until October, when you drop, drop points at Old Trafford against Manchester United. Yeah. Um, I remember Liverpool beat Leicester at home not long after, and we had a night with yeah. Don Aldridge and, and uh, one of your pals, Fitzy, Neil Fitzmaurice, we had a night at, oh. the, at the church on a Friday before that game. We'd done a show with them, and we asked them how they were feeling about things, and Liverpool were top of the league. 
Yeah, they were very coy, not not nervous, but very like they didn't really want to say that we're yeah. flying. It's going to be ours. And and some of my friends as well, Phil included, Liverpool fans, was we're all the same mentality. Not sort of we're going to win the league. Were yeah. you the same? Were you, were you quite coy at that point, thinking let's just wait yeah. and see how it plays out? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I mentioned it a couple of times, and when we, I mean, we did ride our luck sometimes, especially in home. I mean, the Leicester game at home, uh, we rode our luck, didn't we? And did, yeah. you know, we did the Villa game. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was we at that. One nil, one nil down, weren't we? I was at that, but I was at that game. But I still thought, you know, even with five, this is the type of team Liverpool are now. It's almost like when you used to watch United and think it's one nil. Yeah. But there's another five minutes to go, and then another three or four minutes uh, injury time. They'll score. You just yeah. knew, and I know, I knew Liverpool had scored, but I didn't, wasn't expecting us to get two. But I just yeah. knew. We'd we, we score. Well, we'd done it a few times leading up to that, and we were starting to get this mantra, you know, um, mentality monsters. Um, but I just remember in that game thinking, there's nothing happening here. Surely we can't do it again. And we just did. And, no way. You know, I mean, and that's, to believe in. that's the sign of a great team. Never say die. Always willing to go right to the end. And the reason Liverpool used to be called lucky years ago, uh, I always remember Cockneys used to sing, you know, Oh, lucky, 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 lucky Liverpool. Because we used to s- s- score in the last 10 minutes or last five minutes, and it's got back to that. And we used to, people used to think the same about United. Yeah. It's not the fact that they're lucky, it's the fact that they never give up until the whistle goes. And they've got that mentality. And I know Klopp didn't like the mentality monsters tag, but that's what they had. You could see, you know, they had that belief that we're not going to get beat here. We're not yeah. going to get beat, you know. And I, it, I think, you know, happen, you know, Jordan Henderson, absolutely, he's the epitome of it, isn't he, in terms of mentality? Yeah. Um, so I've been saying that for a long time, but he, he really, he really sort of come of age in December, didn't he? Because we, we, we lost yeah. Fabinho. I t- sorry, Millsy, I'm skipping ahead of the season a little bit here. Um, but I remember, you know, we lost Fabinho and we had the Club World Cup coming. And we mm. had like a, a harsh running coming in December, and I think Milner was injured, the Ox was injured, yeah. Um, and Henderson just really, really, really stepped up, didn't he? Yeah. In that period, he went into that defensive mid role, and I think we won every single game. And then in December, maximum points didn't even draw one. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it yeah. was. He epitomises it, and then you know we we struggled at times without him as well. I mean, do you, do you share the same opinion of him? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always, um, I've always liked Henderson. You know, I think, you know, I remember years ago coming out of an SOS meeting and uh, went round everyone because we were all arguing about Henderson, and I was the only one supporting. Yeah. And I went round everyone, and everyone went, "Get rid, get rid, get everyone." Yeah. I'm not saying, oh, you know, I I know more than them. I just thought, I ju- I, I looked at him and I thought. You know, in a, in a certain, in, under a different manager in a certain system, you can see he gives, he gives everything. Yeah. And I was just thinking of someone, of a, a player you appreciate when you play with them. And I was yeah. thinking back to like uh, football, when you played football and you're thinking, he's the type of player you'd always want in your team. Yeah. Because he's not flamboyant. Uh, he's not particularly possessed with uh, brilliant skills. Yeah. Uh, but, He'll keep on going. 
Even if he's 3-0 down, he'll keep on going. He would never put his head down. And that's what I liked about Henderson. Now, I, I, I still thought he had something to offer. Yeah. But at that time, it was mainly, I was thinking it's the effort and, yeah. the, and the ability to never give up. And the natural enthusiasm for the game. Yeah. Or with his attributes. You know, in the last 18 months, you know, and obviously it's under Klopp and Klopp's put the arm around him probably. Yeah. You know, he looks like a different player. I think lifting the Champions League as well, sort of, it's yeah. vindicated themselves to to himself. If that makes sense, I He's think kind so. Of that extra level of belief, hasn't he? Yeah, and you and you also look at what Liverpool's midfield is. It's a very efficient midfield. It's not. It's not a midfield with you know with, with the likes of uh, David Silva yeah. or De Bruyne. It's it's a it's a midfield which is designed to get the ball to the flamboyant players at the front. That's You'd it. almost say it was very German, <laughs> wouldn't you? It is German. <laughs> it is. There's no doubt about it. It's German. You know, yeah. it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people could criticize him, saying, "Oh, they're all water carriers or whatever." But if you look at Wijnaldum when he's on blob, and he, he shielding the ball, and he's just br- absolutely brilliant. You know, absolutely yeah. brilliant. So, I mean, they aren't. They aren't the silver type players. They aren't the messy type players. And people say, "Oh, we lack creativity, and we that's what we need—a creative midfield player." But <laughs> I did a few Q&As with John Barnes last year and going, why do people say these things? Why do people say them? Because Liverpool are set up to get the ball, um, to get the ball as quick as they can to Salah, Mane or Firmino and they'll do the, they'll they'll do all the champagne football, you know. It's because like, if there's ever a game where you play a top team in Europe and you're not free scoring, everyone suddenly goes, oh, it's because you haven't got a number 10. Yeah, you know, and it's just—it's not. It's because you're playing another quality team. Yeah, it's just yeah. Like um, I, yeah. for me, if we did have that fancy Coutinho number ten type player, it'd win you a few games. You know, sparks yeah. of creativity, but you'd lose yeah. a few yeah. as well, which is yeah. what you don't do with, well, think, with the current three. You know, everyone was thinking after Coutinho, or where's the creativity coming from? But we've gone on from strength to strength without Coutinho. Yeah, and it's been proven. Yeah. I didn't want him to go, you know, but yeah, of course. Klopp's been proven right again because yeah. he was probably thinking, and he's probably thinking we'll be a better unit without yeah. Coutinho. Now Coutinho yeah. might get you the goals outside the box, free kicks, yeah. long-range shots, but you lose an, an element of uh, of defensive midfield play, you know, as well. Yeah, Peter, you personally, as a fan, going into this season and even throughout the season so far. How important was it for you to defend the European Cup? Was, was that as, as, as important as going for the league or was it a little bit less because the league was the holy grail, if you like? No, yeah, I said at the beginning of the season, you know, it's uh, for me, it's the Premier League that was the important one. Now, obviously, you want to defend the Champions League, but we've been to, you know, two finals in two years. Very rare you get to three finals in three years, you know, but obviously disappointed to go for Atletico. But... Um, I, I think at the beginning of the season, give any Liverpool fan the choice. We'd like to defend the Champions League. We'd like to win the both, obviously, but either or, it's got to be the Premier League. It's got to be. It's yeah. the whole grail, isn't it? It's, you know, yeah. what you were saying before about how long you waited for, re, for the restart. We waited 30 years. <laughs> I remember uh, Andy Mitten, the United fan who does United We Stand, saying uh, this was in February. 
and he was joking. He said, the only thing that stop you now is coronavirus. And I, I replied to him, ha ha, you know, thinking, you know, yeah. that's never going to happen. Yeah, you know, we have the same joke there. on the podcast. You know, yeah. it's, it's over there in China and it won't spread that quickly, surely, you know. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, <clears throat> obviously, a lot of people have been praying for that's what I'm going to well, look at the season again. Sorry, Phil, the domestic season. Uh, the Man City game in November, Liverpool won 3 uh, 1. Yeah. Like fought an international break and went eight points clear in November. Mm. Was that around the time that you were maybe thinking, hang on, this is this is really, really real at the moment now? We can actually. Yeah, if you've seen, uh, if you've seen the documentary on City um, on Amazon, is it all yeah. or nothing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you knew how much this, these type of games meant to Guardiola in terms of he just couldn't get to, he couldn't get to grips with Klopp and he couldn't get to grips with what was happening at Liverpool and you, know, you could see it meant so much and to beat them like that was just like you know it was like maybe this is our season yeah, maybe yeah. they're not as strong maybe they have got a weakness in the mental I mean there's no doubt about it City are an absolutely brilliant team you know then they should be because they you know. They've yeah. spent so much money and yeah. know, they've got a brilliant manager. But Klopp seems to have something over Guardiola when he Guardiola seems to lose the plot a little bit. The press never say that. They never say like he's uh, cracking up or anything like that. But you could see from that documentary how much uh, it meant to him the fact that Liverpool were the, were the team who were like challenging them. Because yeah. without Liverpool, what would people want in the Premier League? City to dominate for like five, eight years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, surely as a football fan, and I'm not just saying this, but you know, I think as a football fan, it's going to be healthy that a team like Liverpool can challenge them. And not only challenge them, but up until um, the lockdown, we're blowing them out the water, you know. I mean... Yeah. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you, Peter? But that, that's not the way the rest of the country see it for some reason. Well, I, I don't know, you know, because uh, you get a lot of people on Twitter... Yeah. You're anti-Liverpool. If you to, to take uh, Twitter as a as a barometer, yeah, you would have think you would have thought the Labour Party going to sweep to power in December. Yeah. If you take Twitter as a barometer, it's not. So yeah. I when I go around the country and I go to different places, maybe it's different for me because I'm in a group. But I I meet <clears throat> West Ham fans, I meet Arsenal fans, I meet Tottenham fans down in London. You know when I'm uh, going to various social events. And yeah. every one of them, every one of them say, the football you play, unbelievable. And they're always complimentary. And they're always saying, hope you do it. Now, they may be yeah. just saying that because I'm there. Maybe they get on Twitter then. <laughs> I can look it off. But I don't think it is. I think that there's a lot of noise on Twitter. And there's a lot of people very opinionated. And they have hashtags, don't they? You know, uh, you know about, yeah. uh, you know, what was it, VAR, Liverpool, all this rubbish, you know, but <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you really boil, if you really boil it down to it, I know Man United fans who, who, who text me, you know, not on off the record and say, you know, you deserve it, I wish we had your team, you know, and they do. And I think it's all that noise on Twitter, which I think you've just got to ignore. And I think yeah. uh, when I have relatives who come round to us fuming about what, Certain people have said on Twitter, and well, I just laugh at it. Don't yeah. why do it affect you so much? Uh, well, look what they've said. Look what they've said on Twitter. The Evertonian man said, "Look, they're like five percent of the you know of people." Yeah, you know it's 
I honestly think if you were to do, you know, most football fans in the country can appreciate the style of football Liverpool are playing. You, know? you, you won't find a more bitter blue than Millsy, but I think even he has to tip his hat to the, uh, to the way that Liverpool play. Well, that's it. I, I meet a lot of Evertonians who are, uh, you know, they might, they might put it on Twitter, but they'll go, yeah. you, know, you deserve it. You know, we can't. And I, I think, I'd like to think if, if the tables are reversed, and, and Everton would play in, you know, like yeah. Liverpool would play it, and had that like mentality. They go, they deserve it. You know, yeah. they deserve it. I think well, it happened. It happened to us in the nineties, didn't it? And you know, we thought we had a good team, but we weren't man new, were we? And we had to tip our hat to them. We had to tip our hat to Alex Ferguson. I think. I think eventually Liverpool fans did. I think they yeah, did United yeah. because they had to because yeah. it was relentless, wasn't it? Yeah. It was relentless. I think with uh, Klopp. I was thinking about Klopp today because it's it's VE day. I was thinking, how's he gonna feel? <laughs> all these people, you know, and all these, you know. But you know, Klopp would have been as anti-fascist as, as anyone. Of course. So of course. it should be about the whole thing, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, but I, I was thinking, you know, that um, if you if you look at the situation now, um, whatever happens, I think you know you've got to basically just sit back and say, well, Liverpool probably have to deserve it, even if there is no restart. And, they, they, you know, I think they, they'd have to award the, uh, the award the lead to him. It wouldn't be as good without winning it properly, you know, but, you know. I mean, I, I'm sort of the outsider here between you two, you two massive reds, and I'm, I'm the Evertonian here. And looking at it, I obviously don't want Liverpool to win the league. And the, way, oh. the, the one thing that I hate is... So you, want, I, you want a second peak then? No, do you know, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But one thing I actually hate is I like your manager. I think Gergen yeah. Klopp is absolutely brilliant for the game. He's been yeah. a breath of fresh air. He's someone that you, you want to have a pipe with. And I was reading on a, an article <clears> on social media a couple of weeks ago, and this is getting back onto COVID, so we'll quickly get off it. But apparently an ambulance went past him for me, and he was walking a dog, and he was head in hands looking at the ambulance, and, and he applauded it going past. And yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's someone such such a great yeah. guy. He's different. He's different there. It's different class, isn't he? Mm. I think he um, he was shopping in the Tesco. Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I just uh, it, I was having a toast this year around just after Christmas. I used to you know get people to toast in the pub where to not win in the league in 2013-14, which is obviously was a horrendous shock to everyone. In fact, where it just all imploded. And but if we had won the league, we wouldn't have Jurgen Klopp. So it's it's all it's all fate, isn't it? Yeah. It's all fate, and hopefully he signed an extension, hasn't he? It's going to be here for a few few more years. Um, yeah, twenty twenty three, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Will we be playing by then? Do you think? <laughs> not not if uh, Norwich have the way. <laughs> well, well, do you know what, Peter? Uh, two months ago, I, I was having sleepless nights. So we're doing video at the minute. So this spot here has been there for two months because I was having sleepless nights over you winning the league at Goodison. That was the one yeah. thing that I, I didn't want. Well, I, presume, of, I presume you were the opposite. You were dying to win the league at Goodison. No, I, no, loads of young lads and and the young generation, young lads and girls, wanted to win the league at Goodison, but uh, I didn't. I wanted to win the league at Anfield because that's our home. And, you know, if it was Goodison, when there used to be the crowd were half and half in the, in the you know, before all season stadia, I would have said, well, okay, yeah, win the league, Goodison would be great. There would be 15,000, 20,000 Liverpool fans there. Well, I think there was a bit anyway, Peter. 
Well, yeah, there might have been, but I just thought, you know, I just didn't want, you know, a lot of people no, You want to win it at home, don't you? Of course. You want to win it at home because you'd have a better day out. Yeah. You know, you, you have all the builds up in, in your pubs. Yeah. You see the team, they obviously do a lap of honour. Yeah. You know, you couldn't do that, I don't think, at Goodison. And, you know, the whole thing would be more pleasurable now. I, I honestly don't care what Evertonians think. I mean, even myself, oh, no, you must do, but I honestly don't. I honestly don't. If, uh, you know, the young, I can see where the younger generation are coming from because the young generation are a lot more embittered, a lot more ingrained of, you know, us and them. Um, I hate that, you know, I absolutely hate it as an Evertonian. And, and I think yeah. it's our era, and I don't know why P- people say it's Heisel. But no, it's not Heisel because in the early 90s, my dad sat me in a Gladys Street Terrace next yeah. to the Liverpool fans and shook hands at the end of the game. So it's not. Yeah, I don't, think I don't, I don't think know where it came from. It's a bit, I think the Heisel stuff's a bit revisionist because mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I, there, was, there was no mention of Heisel until, I don't think, until. Everton nearly got relegated. What year was that? 93, 94, was it? It was, tw- it was twice. There was 93, 94, then 97, 98. Yeah, well, I think it was both, 93. Both seasons of Liverpool playing very well, both seasons. Yeah, 93, 94 was the first time I ever heard it because people were thinking, are we in this situation? Mm. And then looking for reasons why they're in that situation. So that's when I first heard high subject getting mentioned because from 85 to 93, it wasn't really mentioned because it, it, it wasn't as important as it I think it's been a rewrite of history, really, in terms of this is why Everton were nearly relegated, because we didn't kick on uh, after the mid-80s because of Europe. But if you look at it, you know, you could say, well, um, you know, it affected all clubs. It affected every club, you know. So it was the Premier League that affected Everton and Liverpool. That was the big sea change. It not, it, I wouldn't say it's anything to do with high school, because there's obviously elements where it was, but I think... Players moved on because they wanted European football, but uh, of course they did. I kind of think uh, as the Premier League came in, going to the game became a bit more of a middle-class thing. So mm. it was kind of when the ground was full of working class and most of the city were working class people working in factories and all that. Yeah. It was kind of, we were all one type of thing, but now it's the middle class going to the games and, mm. and the rest of us are, you know, watching it on the telly and that. I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's something to do with that. Why, why, why yeah. the relationships weakened? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting theory, but I think, you know, I think a lot of this, a lot of the bitterness and, you know, animosity does come from the working class, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, true. So I think uh, it's been sanitised, obviously, in the grounds by the gentrification of football, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but I think if you look at why the derby matches become um, more animosity has crept into it, I honestly think it's the fact that it became all seater stadium and the fact yeah. that the Premier League, the money involved in the Premier League and the fact that uh, Liverpool were affected by the Premier League, no doubt about that, but Everton more so, I think, mm-hmm. because of uh, corporate hospitality, because yeah. of a lifestyle choice and Everton's a very community-based working-class club so I think it probably was more adversely affected I think the people who the, the clubs that obviously benefited from the Premier League clubs like United um, definitely benefited, benefited from it uh, now I think you can look into too many reasons I think and you can over-analyse it and I think the very fact that when Liverpool used to go to Goodison we'd have to park ends and 
and loads in the Gladys Street. And then when Everton comes to Anfield, they'd have the, the Annie Road and loads in the cop. And it felt like a derby. And I think that's watered it down and it's become more um, aggressive because there's 3,000 there in the corner. And it's, yeah. like, it's like an away match. It's seeds mentality. And that's the psychology of crowds. Yeah. If there was if if there was fifteen, twenty thousand there, it'd be a different mindset. Because there's three thousand in the corner, you feel uh, as if you're going to a, a ground which is hostile. And that's the psychology of uh, of human beings, really. Yeah. Well, that's what the Americans do. The, the American soccer they have uh, neutral stands where, where both sets of fans can go and mingle. I'm not too sure mm. whether we'd have ever be able to do that here. I mean, one of the reasons we do the podcast as Reds and Blues is because yeah, we, we'd love it to go back to where it was. I mean, yeah. that derby we were talking about that was meant to happen at, uh, two months yeah. ago. My my brother in law is a massive Red, and he asked me for my season ticket. He said, "If Liverpool could win the league at that game, can I have yeah. your season ticket?" And I said, "Of course you can. You, you and your mm. dad have waited for that moment to celebrate." Yeah, yeah. It's important to you. I love you. You can have it. Yeah. I had blues telling me I was a terrible blue, and I had reds telling them I can't believe you're sitting with them. And you sit there <laughs> and you think, what? The, what do we do? I think people. I think what it is is a lot of time people try and prove they're more scouts than you know, <laughs> scouts than you because I don't like them more. You know, I think it's there's an element of that. Mm. Uh, there's an element of that, and like, you know, when we used to do the end. Uh, magazine, we'd sell the end at Anfield and we sell it at Goodison, yeah. And we try to cross against. I mean, what you're doing is obviously very progressive, it's very progressive. And I think that's what people can't you got to think that the, most of these people are Thatcher's children, you know, they come from that. Uh, the parents were, you know, um, in the 80s, they, they lived through the 80s, a lot of mass unemployment, you know, football was the release, football was the one thing they had pride in, yeah. That was taken away from them, you know, the Premier League and the fact that money started to dominate. It was almost like, you know, the whole people's whole existence was pulled away from them, you know. Um, yeah, but I think, I think politically, sorry, go on. Yeah, I think I just think that because that's happened, it's very, very difficult to um, to get away from that because it's been a natural way. And there are progressive groups, obviously. Fan support and food banks are progressive. Yeah. Reds and Blues, they've done magnificent. For a group, small group of people, what they've done is unbelievable. You know, and uh, your podcast, that's progressive. I'd like to think certain fan groups are progressive, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's, when you're dealing with mob mentality and the, the rule of the mob in terms of this is what you should be thinking, it's hard to go against that. Mm. You've got to be... You've got to have a, a lot of principles and a lot of, um, you know, you've, you've got to have a certain mindset to actually say, well, I, you know, I don't agree with that. I, I think, though, we need to be careful and that we, we don't overstate uh, that, you know, that the relationship's so bad because whenever it matters, you know, when Hillsborough comes back around yeah. or, you know, you, you see acts of, like, you know, togetherness yeah. from the supporters and you see it a lot, to be honest. Yeah. So, when it matters, yeah, no, it's, the relationship's as bad as people say it is. It's, no, it's nowhere near the um, City United Rangers Celtic, I don't yeah. think. No. You know, I think it's still got an element of humanity about it. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, I certainly think it has. You know, and I think um, 
I think social media is, is, is exacerbating it. Yeah. Social media, social media is amplified. So, you know, you can get people who set up their own Twitter accounts who just talk all day about Evertonians talking about what they've done to Liverpoolians. And some of the characters, you know, you, you, I know them. And they just wind up merchants. Yeah. And people take it seriously. <laughs> they're just laughing in the background thinking, you know, everyone's taking this seriously. You know, this person said, you know, fancy this, you know. But at the end of the day, that same person, you know, for a fact, would be supporting Liverpool with Hillsborough, you know. Yeah. And there's a few of them. And you see them on. I never engage with them on Twitter because I don't want to be, you know, don't want to get dragged into the... Uh, <laughs> Twitter wars. Twitter wars, yeah. But you know that those people exist and they just do it to wind people up. You know, anyone can set up a Twitter account, can't they? Yeah. You, know, you could... You, anyone could set up a Twitter start attacking across the park, couldn't they? And you know, are they, where, where have they come from? It happened to me when, um, when we did the Justice Collective yeah. uh, because uh, certain people were on the... Um, certain people were on the record, you know. Oh, um, right. Rebecca Ferguson was on it and she... She people were accused her of doing something to Sun, which she hadn't. But you know, okay. it was a witch hunt, basically. Yeah, actually, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, it was a witch hunt, and I started getting stick on Twitter, and so the Keith Mullen, the Evertonian, and we were getting hell on Twitter, and he was, he was off Liverpool fans, um, and like you start getting a bit worried about it because you think, not worried. I wasn't worried in terms of my own personal safety, but. I was tracking them down where they lived and all that. You know, I'm thinking I could put a name to a face, you know, because we have the same at Anfield. You know, he's going to get a crack and all that. So I've got to make sure that I know what the face looks like. And some <laughs> yeah. of the same people, I know for a fact, some of the same people uh, came up to me at certain Liverpool away matches and go, terrible, all that stick you were getting on Twitter, wasn't it? And, you know, it's going, oh, yeah, yeah. So they, yeah, out of all those people, you know. And some of them were in the group. Who, do you know what I mean? It was, it's just, and, and Steve Rotherham got in all the time. And he had a mate who was one of them. One of his, a mate of a mate was one of the main people doing it. Yeah. And it was also because McCartney was on it. McCartney had allegedly done something to some, which, which, you know, I got in touch with the press agent who deals with McCartney. And he said, Peter, don't be so ridiculous. Paul McCartney's never done any interview with anyone. He just does press releases. Which they all use, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he was he was photographed with a um, someone at a press conference that obviously put something in front of him, and he's gone like that. It's been the Sun Entertainment of the Year, but the Sun don't have awards. But obviously, it takes two seconds to get a photograph, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You said there, Peter, just before we move on, that across the park may get some stick. Trust me, we do. There's a reason we don't do video. There's a reason we're only audio. We do get uh, We're not going to keep you too much longer. It's bank holiday. Yeah. I know you've got a few cold beers to sink, I'm sure. So. Oh, well, yeah, I've been watching normal people as well. Have you been watching that? No, any good? No, oh, it's good. Yeah, I watched Ozark. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wow, unbelievable Ozark, the script, everything, the music, yeah. everything about it. I just, I just couldn't wait. I mean, the, that's the one thing about the, the lockdown. It's brought our family together in many ways because we're all watching the telly together. Instead of me being in one room watching the footy and yeah. whatever, we're all in the same room now watching all these um, different series, you know. So yeah. Ozark is unbelievable. Normal people, is, it, 
it's um, it's about uh, it's a couple of Irish school kids really growing up and all that, but it's brilliant, and they've got a great soundtrack as well. And you know, they had millions of views for uh, under thirties. It's a massive show. Loads of sex in it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll watch it. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, before we let you go, we've got a couple of questions, if you don't mind. We did open our, yeah, yeah. our Twitter up and we got flooded, so we've picked the best three, really. Yeah. Uh, there's one from Peter, and he basically says, in March, 25 points clear, could, yeah. you, have asked, could you have asked for any more? Could have asked for any more? Um, the only thing I could have asked for was for the winter season break to happen next season. <laughs> the first experiment. <laughs> but apart from that, no. Just, just on that, Peter, there's something I wanted to ask you. Is obviously, it's one thing having kind of um, hopes and expectations in August. And I think the hope and expectation in August that we, we could win the Premier League. When we got to January, I had a different hope and expectation for this team. I expected, not expected, but I thought there's a the best chance you'll ever have at doing amazing things this year, like trebles mm. and doubles. Because I was thinking mm. at one point, what we were 14 points clear in the league or whatever it was. And I was thinking, we can almost afford to rest players in the league here and really put a run together mm. or, you know, put everything into winning like the Champions League and the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we had different political things going on with Klopp saying he's not going to put out a strut your first team players mm. and all that type of stuff. Uh, and that split the it split the podcast. It split the our listener base and stuff. On yeah. is that the right approach, isn't it? Um, so I'd just like to get your take on, you know, about all. Uh, do, do you think this this is a season that we we should have tried harder for a double or a treble, or do you think we tried hard enough? No, I think you know. I mean, the very fact that everyone was very shocked, weren't they, with the scene we saw against Everton? Yeah, in the FA Cup, you know, and then. You know, in a way, that was one of my favourite games of the season. Because what happened, you know, sorry about this, but it was. <laughs> Do you know what? It's, it's one of my worst. I, I was on a, a podcast after the Origi derby. That, yeah. That where Pickford dropped it on his head. And I, yeah, I said know. to Phil, I said, I, I can't get hurt. I, I can't get hurt anymore. There's, there's nothing that hurt me. They're <laughs> turn up on the under-18s. Peter's 1-0. <laughs> oh, well. You know, to be fair, to be fair, I mean... Uh, Everton could have been three 0 up after half an hour. There couldn't, you know, just just the way it goes. Very fact that Klopp, what you know, it, it was obvious that he wasn't taking the FA Cup that seriously. His priorities were obviously the league and the Champions League. Um, I think old school Liverpool fans were a bit disappointed by that, uh, thinking, "Oh, this is a perfect season to try to win the treble that you know United had won." Yeah, uh, but I think. I think at the end of the day, you've just got to judge Klopp by what he achieves. And I think um, he'll be thinking, I think, you know, I'm building, I'm building a squad here, I'm building a dynasty. Yeah. And you can go on to do those things. Yeah. You have maybe more in-depth in the squad. You know, yeah. the very fact that he's playing, I don't think Liverpool's squad, it's nowhere near as, uh, as strong as City's in-depth. No. We've probably got about uh, 17, 18, maybe top class players. But, you know, City have probably got 22, 23. Yeah. Uh, so I think he was thinking Champions League and League, you know, maybe thinking next year they've got, you know, a stronger squad again. Maybe he could go for the historic treble. But to, 
to, to Klopp and most managers, the FA Cup doesn't mean that much. It only means something to people like us who remember the magic of the cup. But in terms of money, there's not a big, you know, no. monetary-wise, there's not a big thing. The very fact that championship teams are playing weakened teams, you know, tells you everything, you know? Yeah. But when, when, you, when you look back at teams of yesteryear and you're talking about who was the best team ever and all that, you say things like that, don't you? Well, that team won a treble and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. So that's why it means stuff to us because that's what comes up in conversation and debate about who was the best ever mm. and all that type of stuff. And if for me, it was just because that point gap opened up. I, I think you yeah. could have started to say, well, the league's won. And whether mm. that would have been very, very foolish, I don't know. But there was a point in time where I thought, the league's won here. So I thought we could have gone a bit stronger in the FA Cup. I just don't question Jurgen Klopp. I'm yeah, just... well, that's fair. That's fair. If we did that, though, there's no podcast. If there's no... He's, omnip- he's omnipotent. Yeah, yeah, can't argue. <laughs> okay, Peter, the second question we got is from one of our good friends, Michael, and he's basically said that it was a BBC poll uh, this week that had moments of the season vote. One of the options was Watford beating Liverpool 3-0, and his question is, does that show how far Liverpool have come? That's even an option on the poll. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course it does. I mean, nobody saw that coming. And the very fact that it did obviously brought a lot of pleasure to some people, but nobody saw it coming, you know. And I think uh, it was really, we, you know, we were breaking all sorts of uh, records in terms of runs, in terms of unbeaten, you know, uh, forgotten it now. It's been so long ago. Was it 18 on the run, was it? Or we were, we equaled cities, didn't we? We equaled yeah. cities from... And if we'd have beaten Watford, we would have beat, you know, but psychologically, maybe it was just too, you know, it was a bridge too far, you know. It was a game too far. It was a game too far for them. No one saw it coming. And in a way, I'm sure the players were a bit relieved. The fact that, you know, that was the thing off the back that, you know, were they going to be the, uh, like, the Arsenal team? The Invincibles, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, so I think the very fact that it is on the pole, yeah, it's, you know, like years ago, you know, under um, when Klopp first started, or or under Brendan Rodgers, you know, we were regularly three 0 down, weren't we? You yeah. know, we did have great comebacks, but we'd always be thinking we needed to be three or four up before you can relax, because we knew the Keystone Cops that were in our defence. We knew we always had a you know, a Mingle or a Carius or someone or a Lovren or, you know. To, <laughs> yeah, to, you know, to, to just gift goals away from nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, it does, it does show how far Liverpool have come. Okay, and that's the final question we've got is from Paul on Twitter. He's asked us to say he's a massive fan of the farm, first of all. And yeah. his, his question is, if you could bring one Liverpool player from the past to come into this current team, who would you pick? One Liverpool player from the past into the current team. I think it'd have to be, it'd have to be Stephen Gerrard, wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd have to be Stephen Gerrard. I think because Stephen Gerrard deserves a team like this, you know. Mm. Um, and I think under Klopp, he would have done what he was told. Uh, I think, you know, he probably wasn't happy when Benitez put him on the right. But it was probably his most effective season mm. when he was on the right. And he was he was absolutely magnificent. But he he probably personally didn't want to play there. But I think Klopp 
but just put his arm around him, wouldn't he, and just say, this is what I want you to do. And, you know, so I think, you know, I think Stephen Gerrard, I think uh, we'd have that. It'd be like, it'd be very similar to Henderson in a way, but with more natural ability. Yeah. And I think um, he deserves, I mean, he, he dragged Liverpool up from the very fact that we won things under, because of Gerrard. Istanbul, West Ham FA Cup fan. It wouldn't have happened without Gerard. And I think, you know, I think it's always going to be, and you see the documentary on him, it's always going to be like um, the slip that he's, you know, that a lot of people remember him for. But what a magnificent player and what a magnificent career. And he really deserved to have a team like this or deserved to have a manager like this, you know. That, it kind of surprised You took me by surprise when you said Gerard then, because... I almost don't think of him as a player from the, from the past. But of yeah. course he is. It's horrible. But of course he is, yeah. And, um, you know, obviously, you could think, I mean, it's hard to think of an attacker that could improve our attack. Yeah. And you'd either think of someone like Alonso. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, going to the midfield. So I'm thinking, you can't think of a, and it's, you know, Barnes possibly, but is Barnes better than Mane? I don't think he is. You know, I think Mane can do things that, you know, Barnes is unbelievable, my, one of my favourite players ever, but Mane, you just don't know what he's going to do. And I don't and think he's going to have the yeah. time what he's going to do. And he just, he's absolutely world class, you know. Firmino's world class. Salah's world class. So I don't think he can prove the attack. Possibly you could have maybe Alonso if you weren't to have Gerard because you've got Henderson. But you know, between Gerard and Alonso, but I'd go for Gerard. Yeah, yeah same. Great answer. Um, thanks for the questions, guys. I'm really sorry we couldn't get to them all. We, we were flooded with them. We could only pick three because it's only a, a short show. Peter, okay. thank you very, very much for your time. We really, very appreciate it. Not only tonight, but being a, a massive friend of the show. Thank yeah, you very no much problem. For all right, thanks a lot. Thanks for the Peter. Have a great weekend. Thanks very much. See you later. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.